0: Hi, this is John Olson. Thank you for joining us on the National Security This Week podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe so you'll receive a new edition of the podcast every week. Please leave us a review as well and tell others about us. And please contact us with any feedback or opinions you might have by emailing nstw at kymnradio.net. We hope you find the show informative and interesting. Thanks again.
1: National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson.
0: Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, November 17th, and you've joined us for this week's edition of National Security This Week. I'm your host, John Olson. Every Wednesday at 9 a.m., we get together here on KYMN Radio to discuss national security issues. We're joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore challenges in national security. One of the things I've been able to do since I retired from the U.S. Navy has been to serve as a visiting lecturer, more commonly called an adjunct professor, at Carleton College located here in Northfield, Minnesota. I teach courses on national security at Carleton in the Department of Political Science. That experience has been profoundly rewarding for me, both professionally and personally, Every time I teach a course, I'm blown away by the talent of the students at Carleton who come from all across America and even from around the world. Today, we have a special show for you. I've invited three former students from Carleton College to join me to discuss the degree they earned in international relations and how that degree has propelled them into the career paths they're on today. Jonah Simons is a senior data analyst with Medtronic, where he supports programs in supply chain sustainability. He holds a master's degree in peace and conflict research from Uppsala University in Sweden, where he was a Rotary Peace Fellow, as well as a bachelor's degree from Carleton College in political science and international relations. Jonah has been recognized as a next-generation global leader by the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition, and he currently resides in Minneapolis. Nicole (laughs) Nipper is a senior, senior corporate security consultant focusing on intelligence and situational awareness for target corporation. She assists in crisis management and safety and security operations across the enterprise to help prepare for, respond to, and recover from any incident that impacts targets people, guests, communities they operate in, and locations around the world. She holds a master's degree in the study of terrorism and political violence from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and a bachelor's degree from Carleton College in International Relations. McKaylee Hunt hails from the Barossa Valley in South Australia where she lived until moving to Minnesota to complete her undergraduate degree in political science and international relations at Carleton College. She is currently completing a master's in security policy studies at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., with an emphasis on transnational security. Outside of class, McKaylee interns for the Global Internet Forum to Counter Terrorism, or GIFCT, and with the Incident Location and Geospatial Intelligence Team at the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism. Jonah Simons, Nicole Nipper, and McKaylee Hunt, welcome to National Security This Week.
2: Thanks, John. It's good to be here.
3: Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks, John.
0: So, uh, Jonah, where are you at this morning?
2: This morning, I'm in Fridley, Minnesota, uh, at uh, Medtronic World Headquarters,
0: which is where I work. All right. And Nicole, where are you? Uh, I'm
3: currently in my home in Edina, Minnesota, uh, working, but of course, working from home due to the pandemic.
0: Telecommuting. And uh, Michele, how about you? Where are you at this morning?
3: I'm actually in D.C. I'm also in
1: my living room, uh, but I will be going into work in person after this.
0: All right. All right. So let's start at the beginning, and for all th- all three of you, and, and, and Michaela, you're the most recent graduate, so I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go to Nicole and then Jonah. Uh, what drew you to the study of international relations? What was it about that topic that interested you and made you decide to pursue that degree at Carleton College?
1: Yeah, so I think it's probably a bit cliche to say, but this kind of was always what I was going to do. Um, I kind of grew up. <clears throat> Across two different countries, the US and Australia, I am a dual citizen. So I've kind of been representing both of those countries since I was born, traveling back and forth um, for as long as I can remember. So it just kind of always makes sense to pursue that. Wasn't really interested in math or science. That was my kind of twin brother's role. So easily jumped onto that. And my mom also worked in politics. She worked. DC currently works in Washington State and also did some local Australian politics which is quite a different breed to US politics and she also went to Carlton College and was so confident that I would go to Carlton that she actually booked the hotel for new student week before I was even accepted so it was kind of kind of made to be that this was career path and Carlton was where I
3: studied
0: and Nicole how about you I have some similarities
3: to McKaylee's story there. Um, I, I've always been um, a resident in Minnesota for the most part, uh, but primarily my drive to the international relations um, studies was the idea that there are so many complex problems around the world uh, and none of them have straightforward solutions. And most of these complex problems involve you know, humans, which makes it even more complex. And I like the idea that uh, international relations focuses on such a broad range of these these complicated issues that affect so many people. Specifically, um, what's driven me to it was uh, actually the study of terrorism, um, which is what I got my master's in. And the idea that studying these issues you know, with the with the goal of preventing suffering, um, I think there there's some there's some pathway to, from international relations to potentially finding solutions to mitigate suffering, um, and that, that that's what drives me every day. And um, sometimes I think that's a little bit idealistic, given the the problems we face. Um, but I do I do like to believe that there there's a way to um, reduce reduce
0: suffering by studying international relations. And Jonah, how
2: about you? Yeah, my story, or at least the story that I've constructed for myself, you know, (laughs) really starts when I was 11 um, and my family moved to Sweden. Uh, I was uh, like Nicole. I grew up in Minnesota, but um, the year I spent in Sweden really sort of opened my eyes. I was just, you know, an 11-year-old plopped down in a new country um, and faced with a whole set of new questions that you know, came alongside that, um, and I think that just sort of yeah you know, caused me to start thinking about the world differently and seeing myself and my place in the world a little bit differently. Um, and I just remember in high school uh, reading the international section of the New York Times. That was those were the stories that really sort of caught my eye and that I found the most interesting. Um, I never had a I didn't have a political like political legacy going to Carleton College or anything like that, but. <laughs> Uh, when I found myself accepted, and when, you know, that was the college that I decided to go to, um, political science and international relations was already something that I was pretty keenly interested in studying.
0: Why don't we talk a little bit about the uh, <clears throat> the IR degree program at Carleton, uh, maybe give our, our listeners a, an understanding of what that program is all about. Uh, what required, you know, the required courses, the core curriculum, what were those courses that you had to take? And then What were the electives that you took and and why did you take them? And Jonah, we'll go ahead and start with you. And then uh, we'll go to Nicole and and McKaylee.
2: Well, John, it's been a long time since I uh, took those courses, but I can say the at least the course that made the greatest impression on me uh, outside the one that I took with you, of course, um, (laughs) was (laughs) Comparative Political Regimes, uh, taught by Professor Al Montero. And that was actually the very first political science course that I took. Uh, and for those who who don't have degrees in international relations, comparative political regimes, or comparative politics, is just uh, just what it sounds like: comparing different uh, countries, uh, often using a computational approach. So this was the the first my first introduction to sort of quantitative social science. Um, and for me, when I was taking this course as an eighteen year old, it was. The perfect marriage of my, my interest in statistics and my love of data science, um, as well as my interest in better understanding the world through the lens of international affairs.
0: Okay. And Nicole?
3: Yeah, I think uh, I, I did a lot of my, my course selection somewhat backwards uh, as far as the core courses for IR. I ended up taking those later. Um, in my undergraduate years, um, and ended up taking a lot of the electives uh, earlier, um, and then throughout throughout my time there, I think majority of my courses actually at Carleton ended up being um, from the IR department. So I was I was pretty certain um, of my interests right away. Um, Jonah and I actually were in in the same course, and John, you were you were the professor for that course. Um, the U.S. intel community. Uh, it was actually my my first uh, political science international relations elective. Um, I think I was the only freshman in that in that class.
0: You, you, um, you were. I remember.
3: <laughs> and uh, I, I think that set the tone for my years after that. Uh, most of the electives I took were um, pretty much focused on conflict. Um, either from a very specific lens or um, more broadly speaking. Uh, I took several courses with professor Dev Gupta and um, I believe she was actually a guest on your show a little bit earlier this year. She was. Um, And that, that included courses like Northern Ireland and the troubles um, studying that uh, in addition to uh, separatist movements, but I also took courses that had a crossover um, with international relations. So from the religion department um, or from the history department, uh, and that's one of the interesting things about international relations is that it is so broadly reaching that it crosses over with a lot of these other subjects. Um, so I tended to enjoy my electives more than the core classes. And I don't think I'm uh, alone in that. And I think it maybe says something that, you know, we can sometimes forget what those core courses were um, to begin with. So um, electives were certainly at the, top of, uh, at the top of the list for me. Yeah.
0: And McKaylee, how about you?
1: Yeah. So I graduated last year, so I still remember the core courses. <laughs> um, I did take them freshman year, which was a while ago. Uh, so basically, I had to take democracy and dictatorship. And then I also had to take international relations and world politics, which I took with Greg Marfleet. And I do want to give Greg a shout out because I took six courses with him. He's responsible for like a sixth of my college education. So felt like I should give him a shout out there. Uh, and then my concentration was leadership, peace and security. So I took courses that kind of fit into that broad subtopic. I think my three favourite electives were probably Christina Farhart's Misinformation, Conspiracy Theories and Political Rumours course, which was incredibly relevant at the time and is also still very relevant right now. She did a really good job of kind of integrating current news and developments and conspiracy theories into our class. And I think that would be a really interesting one to take, obviously, with the pandemic and kind of the new conspiracies that are arising. I also took a really good course on feminist security studies which was a really good chance to kind of expand beyond kind of the traditional state-centric theories of IR and that course really helped shape the way I look at the international system today and kind of I'm a little more critical of some of the other theories because of that course and then One of my favourite courses, um, would be remiss not to mention your terrorism and counterterrorism course, John, uh, which was one of my favourite ones I took at Carlton. I'm not just saying that, so you keep writing me letters of recommendation. I did really enjoy it. Um, I wanted to take a course taught by a practitioner and kind of get that inside knowledge and, yeah, it paid off.
0: So everybody, usually usually in their senior year, uh, occasionally we have people who uh, are, are hard chargers and do their paper in their junior year, but uh, all of you had to write a what they call a comps uh, paper, sort of a senior year thesis paper. Uh, Nicole, let's start with you this time. What did you choose for your research project for your comps paper? How did that cap- paper come about? And, and what did you find as part of your research? This is an opportunity for all three of you to talk a little bit about the kind of research and time and effort you put into writing your individual comps papers. So we'll start with you, Nicole. Uh, we'll go to you, Jonah second, and then McKaylee let you, let you finish up on this question.
3: Yeah, I personally really enjoyed the entire process. Um, and I, I did do it during my junior year. I had the opportunity to do it that way. Um, and I'm very happy it worked (laughs) worked out that way, made senior year a little, a little bit more enjoyable. Um, not that not that this process wasn't enjoyable either, but uh, I, I specifically focused on comparing worldviews and ideologies of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And at the time, uh, this would have been pretty early on still with ISIS uh, emerging. Um, and so there were a lot of discussions on whether there was a difference between uh, uh, the two groups, Um And it was very important to me to basically outline how they are different and what that means in terms of combating the groups, um, in addition to uh, preventing additional groups and factions down the line. So what we can learn from differences between groups that seem similar, um, but are in fact very different. And the project emerged through one of my courses, with Dev Gupta uh, is actually a social movement theory course. Uh, Social movement theory is typically applied to more of the positive movements. So uh, the civil rights movement um, and climate change um, more of the green peace movements. Uh, However, I saw a window to apply social movement theory to Um, the study of political violence and terrorism. And uh, I used those theories primarily to explain the differences between these two groups, Um, using hundreds of documents from both groups and analyzing uh, the words and language that they used uh, to explain their motives. um, Ended up being a really uh, fruitful project um and took up a lot of time uh but it was all time that i enjoyed um i I still feel very passionate about it um so i'm grateful for that experience and i think there is a lot of value in taking theories that maybe traditionally aren't used to um, explain some of these problems um, and look at them in different ways to come up with a number of
2: different solutions
0: yeah and Jonah, how about you? I know it's been a while since you, since you uh, wrote your, your comps paper. What did you work on?
2: It has been a while. And uh, in preparation for this show, I went back and reviewed it. And <laughs> I have to say, you know, there's some, there's some good content in there, but I've definitely uh, grown as a social science researcher since I wrote it. Um, but yeah, as, as far as what I wrote about, um, you know, in high school uh, and during my time at Carleton, I was something of a Koreophile. Um, when I was reading the New York Times <laughs> international section, um, you know, the stories that really uh, that really caught my eye were always about North Korea. Um, and so I came into Carleton um, and we don't have a Korea studies department at, at Carleton, but I kind of made my own uh, Korea studies major just in how I, you know, approached my my coursework and what I chose to do research on Um because it was just the part of the world that I found the most interesting, um, and as I as I learned more about North Korea, I also realized you know I can't just learn about North Korea. It also, it's a whole there's a whole regional that you know um, to learn about there. So, for my actual comps paper itself, um, I borrowed um, some psychological theories and used those to talk about how misperception and cognitive biases had contributed to the historical and ongoing failure of U.S. foreign policy towards North Korea. Um, Nicole mentioned, you know, all of the electives that she took outside of the uh, political science department. That's one of the, I think, in my opinion, one of the strengths of a political science or an international relations degree is that you're really taking from so many different fields of social science and incorporating all of those into your understanding of, of how the world works. So for me, yeah, it was um, cognitive psychology that I was uh, that I was looking at and um, things that I one of the most interesting things I learned, for instance, was um, just the linguistic barriers of communicating with uh, North Korea. That, for instance, when we when the U.S. sends an envoy to North Korea um, and there's and a dialogue, uh, the the translators that we use on the U.S. side are, are almost certainly have been you know, trained or they're from. South Korea. But the, in the now more than 70 years that North Korea and South Korea have been divided, um, the languages have started to diverge pretty significantly. In South Korea, there are a bunch of, for instance, a bunch of loan words that have been taken from English. So like the South Korean word for computer is just, uh, it's just computer, like it's the, it's the English word that they've adopted. And for ideological, political reasons, uh, North Koreans don't use that word. Um, And so there are, uh, even just in the way that we communicate with one another, there are these barriers that have that have cropped that have cropped up and there are specific instances where that's uh, led to political crises um, and and diplomatic failures. So that was really that was what I looked at. And it was it was pretty interesting.
0: And McKaylee, how about you? What was your comps paper on?
1: Yeah, so I looked at the nonviolent strategies of terrorist organizations. So. I wrote a research paper for your terrorism and counterterrorism class which I decided to use as the basis of my kind of comps paper. So there were kind of two main arguments or concepts that I kind of drew on. One, we were talking about this idea of propaganda of the deed in class, which is basically the idea that actions speak louder than words and our actions can be used as a form of propaganda. So when we're talking about it in relation to terrorism, there's kind of this inherent equation of the deed with a violent deed. And so that is kind of how the concept has come to be defined and seen. And then you had also mentioned in class one day that ISIS had a garbage disposal system, (laughs) which is a quote I have mentioned um, in many job interviews and cover letters and how that kind of sparked my interest in terrorism, but it really did make me stop and go, well, how am I thinking of terrorism and terrorists? And I kind of took those two ideas and said, well, can we consider a deed that is nonviolent? And can we look at a form of propaganda where terrorist organizations are using nonviolent deeds? So I looked at service provision specifically, and kind of placed that into some of the frameworks of Violent strategies of terrorism. So, demonstrated that uh, a non-violent strategy would function as a form of outbidding where terrorist organizations would use inclusive service provision to demonstrate they were capable of governing and being a legitimate alternative to whichever government they were in conflict with. And then I took um, case studies of ISIS and Hezbollah and showed when inclusive versus exclusive service provision would be used to get a kind of symbolic versus a material benefit as
0: well. All right. Uh, So for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080, and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guests today are three former students of mine, Jonah Simons, Nicole Nipper, and McKaylee Hunt, and we're discussing how their study of international relations has impacted their respective careers. Uh, So that said... Uh, Jonah, let's start with you. You graduated, I think, in the spring of twenty fourteen. Uh, briefly, tell us what you've been up to since then.
2: Briefly, <laughs> well, uh, after I graduated, you know, I, I just talked about how I was I was interested in uh, the Korean Peninsula, but I had never been there, so uh, I sort of made it my goal to to you know spend some time there, and I worked as an English teacher um, in South Korea and in three different rural elementary schools for a year, um, which was a great experience. And then uh, at the completion of that contract, I moved back to Minnesota, and I uh, worked first as a paralegal in an immigration law firm, um, and then as a teaching assistant uh, at Friends School of Minnesota in St. Paul. And I was just kind of trying to, you know, I was trying a few different things out, trying to figure out which direction I wanted to move in my career. Um, And it was around, it was around then that I decided I, I probably, you know, wanted to go back to grad school. Um, And I applied for this Rotary Peace Fellowship, um, which is a really amazing educational opportunity um, made possible by by Rotary International. Um, But I applied for this fellowship with no expectation that I was actually going to receive it. Um, And then after I had applied for that, I applied to work at Medtronic as a trade analyst, um, and I was hired at Medtronic, and I started working here. Uh, and I was here for about three months, really enjoying myself. When I found out I was, uh, I was had been selected for the Rotary Peace Fellowship. So I guess you know when it rains, it pours. Um, and and it was a tough choice for me to make uh, at the time, but the you know the offer to go do uh, grad school. Studying uh, peace and conflict research at Uppsala University in Sweden, and to get paid for that, eventually, eventually went out. So that's what I did uh, from fall of 2019 uh, until the spring of this year. I was in I was in Uppsala University. Um, I was obviously uh, you know that experience was impacted by the COVID 19 pandemic, um, but about halfway through my uh, master's program, I also started working as a consultant with the United Nations Economic and Social Commission for Asia and Pacific, doing um, statistics and, and social science research for them. And then uh, I graduated from my master's program in June of this year. And now I'm working uh, I'm back at Medtronic and I'm working as a senior data analyst in supplier sustainability. So, so yeah, that's all I've done since, uh, since 2014.
0: And that supplier sustainability, uh, we had talked about that, I don't know, a month ago or so. Uh, What exactly are you focusing on?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, within Medtronic, you know, we have uh, billions of dollars that we spend in our supply chain. And the company is uh, prioritizing sustainability moving forward, um, which encompasses both environmental sustainability, but also concepts like um, labor and human rights. Uh, making sure that people have, um, are receiving adequate pay, um, that they're not engaged in modern-day slavery, um, as well as a separate um, conflict minerals program. And so that all sort of falls under the umbrella of responsible supplier management, which I think, you know, actually more broadly um, falls, <laughs> falls under the umbrella of uh, corporate responsibility, corporate social responsibility. So that's really what I'm doing, and, and and I'm doing more of the yeah the data analysis work for them here.
0: So that's like rare earth minerals and whatnot, metals, things things of that nature.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's it's there's an acronym. It's three TG, which is um, tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold are the the conflict minerals, um, and that's specified under the the Dodd Frank Act um, that there is a compliance requirement that you have to um, disclose. The sourcing of those those three minerals if they're um, used in your in your products which they are for Medtronic which for those who don't know Medtronic is a, a medical device manufacturer so we're yeah we're looking within our supply chain at um, the sources of those different minerals um, the smelters that are being used and making sure that um, yeah that a that we're disclosing but also trying to move away from some of those high risk smelters
0: okay. And Nicole, how about you? You graduated in uh, spring of 2017. What have you been doing the last few years?
3: Yeah. um, Right after graduating from Carleton, I ended up uh, jumping the ocean and going right to Scotland uh, and pursuing my master's degree there um, in St. Andrews at the Center for the Study of Terrorism and Political Violence uh, at the university there. And even during that time, I think my... My views of of what I was studying tended to broaden and become a lot more um, a lot more intersectional with issues beyond just uh, terrorism. So even though this master's program was pretty specific, um, there were a lot of opportunities to explore uh, conflicts involving genocide, and um, at the time, it would have also involved me looking at concerns in the U.S. over mass shootings and um, the full range of political violence uh, that involves individual acts to um, organized group acts. So that kind of changed the way I was looking at um, some of these conflicts and and how I could make a difference with the degrees that I had. And once I finished up my master's program there, I came home and um, started to look for a pathway forward in in terms of my career and decided not to go t- towards the public sector and instead found a pathway in the private sector and um, joined Target and um, their corporate security team. And I think this is something that doesn't often get highlighted because it is such an interesting aspect of um, corporations now that so many have Intelligence functions; um, they have corporate security functions, and uh, how that's been changing over the years. And more and more companies are growing out those teams um, to address the the growing conflicts with supply chain and international trade, and um, the whole range of, of potential uh, issues that impact uh, corporate operations. And so I've been with Target for about three years now, uh, primarily um, you know, primarily addressing any type of crisis, uh, ranging from workplace violence to natural disasters. Um, so we're impacted by not just the the human um, the human disasters, but also the natural ones as well, um, making climate change a uh, growing growing concern. Um, in addition to the supply chain complications that we're facing both domestically and internationally. Uh, my position here has given me a, um, basically a, f- a, first, uh, a first look at a lot of the, the conflicts we're going to be facing in the coming years. Um, and I think one, one example of this would be uh, the winter storm event in Texas uh, that basically decimated part of the power grid um, It was something that I think a lot of corporations and um, public sector uh, teams weren't really expecting. And realizing that some of our infrastructure can be that fragile, uh, particularly when it comes to natural disasters, is a top concern, um, I think, not just for corporate America, but for, um, for the country as a whole as a national security concern. Um, So being a part of that initiative, um, seeing how wildfire season basically doesn't end now um, for the U.S., uh, this impacts, you know, our food security Um, and, you know, Target plays a key role in that as well. And uh, making sure that when teams are shopping or guests are shopping, that uh, they're going to be safe um, in our buildings or uh, the communities we operate in are going to be safe. So um, I think it's, it's growing um, for corporations to not just care about their people and their buildings and their assets, but to also care about the communities we operate in. Um, and that's one of the things that I value the most in my position currently with Target is, you know, even if we're not impacted by a natural disaster, um, we're going to care about the communities that are um, and doesn't necessarily have to have a direct line to, to our operations for us to reach out and want to make a difference. And, um, that's been my goal from the get-go.
0: Okay. And, and McKaylee, how about you?
1: Yeah, I have not been out of school, um, for quite as long as Jonah and Nicole, uh, but I graduated during the pandemic. So June last year, and I'd kind of always known that grad school was on the horizon. It was something that, I was going to do, and so I decided to use the pandemic as a chance to really just knuckle down um, and work nonstop to get ready for grad school. So that is what I did. I didn't work less than 60, 70 hours a week, um, two or three jobs at a time to kind of make sure that I was getting kind of the good experience for my resume and also saving money. So I've probably worked enough jobs to last a decade. Uh, When I immediately graduated, I was doing a full-time AmeriCorps program, helping um, with coaching across America, and I kind of managed 22 other Vistas who were serving at host sites where they were doing trauma-informed coaching for youth athletes in kind of communities in need. And while I was doing that, I was also doing virtual programming for a summer camp, so running lots of Zoom sessions with kids who were missing out on kind of those in-person interactions. And I was also nannying 30 weeks for a nanny family, which was predictably quite a hectic summer. (laughs) I then transitioned to becoming a field organizer for the 2020 election, which was even more uh, hectic and busy. I kind of did that from the comfort of my bedroom with my little desk that I would pull across um, every single morning when I started. So that was pretty exciting. Obviously, the 2020 election was very chaotic, I will say (laughs) in a word. Uh, So that was good. And then from there, I transitioned to interning for the Carter Center's Syria Conflict Mapping Program. So I was doing a lot of kind of coding for them, a lot of building out their natural language processing tool, which was really interesting, getting to do some kind of OSINT work, mapping Turkish-Russian patrol routes um, in Aleppo and Hasaka governance, which is fun. I was also still nannying during that time, and I also started working at a doggy daycare on the weekends at that time, so that was kind of a a seven-day-a-week situation. And then in the summer, I transitioned back to that AmeriCorps program I'd done when I first graduated. was nannying for three nanny families this summer, still at the doggy Daycare. <laughs> so that was probably the most chaotic time. And then the Carter Center pulled me back on as a contractor during the month of August. And then I started grad school full time and am interning 30 hours a week now, as John mentioned at the start. Uh, for two different places. So, honestly, grad school seems pretty easy after kind of all of the stuff I went through to get here. But I am really enjoying my internship with the Global Internet Forum to Counter Terrorism. They're really working with tech companies across the tech stack to counter the use um, and exploitation of the internet by terrorists. So, at the moment, I'm kind of helping them turn their human rights impact assessment into kind of some tangible policies um, and outputs, which has been really interesting.
0: You know, I was McKaylee, really, really I, concerned I, I, when I brought brought you guys on here that you'd be all, uh, you know, real underachievers, but uh, I'm pleasantly surprised by all the things you've been able to accomplish in the last few years.
2: <laughs> Kaylee, have you slept since you graduated from Carleton?
1: <laughs> Actually, I always prioritize sleep. So I never, even in undergrad, I will not do all-nighters. I don't normally do homework after dinner. So, My mom and my sister kept being like, you can take a break, like, you can stop working. And I was like, no, I can stop working when I'm in grad school. But here (laughs) I am, still working.
0: (laughs) All right, so uh, for our audience, uh, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guests today are three former students of mine, Jonah Simons, Nicole Nipper, and McKaylee Hunt, and we're discussing how their study of international relations has impacted their respective careers. Uh, So for all three of you, um, how did the international relations degree program at Carleton College prepare you for the the career paths that you find yourself on today? Uh, McKaylee, why don't we start with you and then Jonah and Nicole?
1: Yeah, so I, because of that terrorism and counterterrorism course that I took with you, That's kind of put me directly on the career path that I am on at the moment. I am interning into kind of terrorism and extremism related organizations. So there is a pretty direct connection between the courses I took and kind of my interests now. I do think Carlton did a really, really, really good job of preparing me to work in the sense that I can can kind of think outside of the box. I think a lot of the times People in my grad program um, complain about how hard it is. But honestly, I would say it's equivalent, if not easier to Carlton, because if you weren't in the library, you know, for eight hour days on the weekend at Carlton,
0: you weren't getting
1: your readings done. You weren't getting your homework done. So I think Carlton did a really good job of kind of building up really high expectations so that I am able to meet kind of any tasks, time management skills that kind of come way, my way um, in jobs.
0: And Jonah.
2: Yeah. I want to echo what McKaylee just said. I think uh, Carlton does a great job of preparing you for certainly for grad school. Um, and as far as the IR degree program specifically, I mean, I think the thread of the IR program runs through pretty much everything that I've done. Um, you know, I've lived in four different countries in the past 10 years and, um, And you know that's that's what you're studying. You know, in in a there's the there's the academic work that you're doing, but you know what you're learning about is preparing you to um, experience life anywhere in the world, um, giving you cultural competency. You know, I think people with I.R. degrees tend to travel pretty well. Um, And and you know, specifically what it's what it's done for me professionally, I can say that my my first job at Medtronic, which Again, you know, I worked here, went to grad school, and now I'm back because I enjoyed it so much. But my first job as a trade analyst, um, I was hired in part because my uh, my manager, who was the hiring manager, saw that I had an IR degree. And he said, I want to hire people who have international relations degrees because they have an understanding of what's going on in the world. You know, when uh, things are happening quickly in the world of, you know, of international trade, you um, Certainly back in 2018, when I was hired, there was a lot going on, you know, it can change on a dime. And my boss wanted somebody who was able to uh, read what had happened at 7am and come into work at 8am and know, know what was up. Um, So yeah, I think that's, you know, that's, that's what you're getting from an IR degree in addition to, you know, all of the other, um, all of the other, you know, (laughs) opportunities and experiences.
0: And Nicole, how about you? Uh, How did the IR degree program at Carleton College set you up for the career path you're on today?
3: Um, I would echo the echo of (laughs) McKaylee and and Jonah there. Um, You you both really nailed it. I think uh, specifically an IR degree at a liberal arts uh, college gives you the opportunity to explore so many different areas um, of what you're studying. And and like McKaylee said, think outside the box. Um, I've also encountered uh, in my professional career, people saying that it is a benefit to see international relations majors um, and that experience there, like Jonah was mentioning. It gives you this broad perspective. And it also, I think, symbolizes um, you know a sense of curiosity. People who have an international relations degree tend to have um, pretty nuanced views of conflicts and uh, parts of the world that um, keeps the door open for discussion in addition to um, you know problem-solving strategies that other people might not be thinking of so uh, for me it's definitely impacted how I um, decided uh, where to go for my my master's um, and like Michaeli said it made the uh, I think uh, grad school is, you know, if it doesn't feel quite like a jump when you come from Carleton. I think uh, I felt very prepared um, going to my grad program and, and kind of just felt like continuation of what I was doing. So I could really go into things that I was interested in. And then for the professional side of it, um, like Jonah was mentioning, It really is um, one of those things where I I tend to find myself thinking back to courses that I had taken or lessons that I had learned at Carleton, um, even in uh, daily daily operations um, in my job today. So thinking about uh, problem solving uh, from foundations that I learned um, back in undergrad.
0: All right. So let's put your degrees uh, to work and we'll have a little bit more of a discussion here. We're closing in on the the bottom quarter of the hour Uh, for each of you. And and we'll start us off. uh, Nicole, you you start the discussion here. What do you think are the top three uh, biggest challenges that America faces today? And you get three minutes.
3: (laughs) All right. Um, I think, uh, well, first, I struggled to narrow down. the challenges that I am conceptualizing, I struggle to narrow them down to three. I think uh, there's no shortage of, of crises or challenges facing the U.S. Um, today. For me, my top three, I suppose I'd simply put it as climate change um, is, is certainly uh, certainly a top concern and a top threat. And it's not something that's as far off as I think we we would like to think that it is. It's already here. Um, and I know that discussions have been increasing uh, in, the, in the past few months, um, particularly with the COP26 right now. Along with that, I'd probably say um, threats to infrastructure, uh, both from natural disasters, but also from more of um, malicious causes. So cyber, cyber attacks um, and, and those types of things and threatening electrical grids and, and so forth. And then um, I'll throw out this other one, I, I'm not sure that uh, we, we usually think of it as a top security risk, but I would say public health, um, broadly speaking, and that goes beyond uh, just the pandemic. Um, in fact, I would say it was a top concern before a pandemic, um, particularly I want to call out the, um, the national crisis that we have right now with mental health and how that can cascade throughout so many different sectors and um that also includes equity, equity concerns. Um, so there's plenty of an intersectionality between all these challenges and more, um, but I'll, I'll keep it to those three categories. Okay.
0: And, and McKaylee, how about you? What do you see are the three top challenges that we face today?
1: Yeah, I think I definitely echo climate change. I think that so many of the other kind of national security challenges that we would kind of consider will be exacerbated by climate change. Um, or kind of directly related to climate change. Um, sorry, I also want to mention domestic polarization, and then kind of at the extreme end of that, radicalization. I think in the last four years, we saw an increase in kind of this us first them rhetoric and these kinds of misinformation ca- campaigns that are really dividing the US into kind of two camps, I think. It's really interesting taking courses on kind of ethnic conflict and civil wars and just kind of seeing the early stages of these kind of historical conflicts kind of mapping onto current US domestic politics and obviously not saying that we are at that level quite yet, but I do think that this polarisation is kind of something to be wary of and kind of keep in, in mind, especially as we are seeing a lot more Gray zone warfare, which I think would probably be my third um, kind of biggest challenge just in terms of misinformation campaigns that are being conducted. And those kind of play into that public health crisis with the pandemic and kind of misinformation that is being spread by hostile actors to kind of increase the chaos um, of the domestic political environment for the U.S.
0: And Jonah, how about you?
2: Yeah, I I, again, climate change has to be, I think, at the top of of anyone's list right now in terms of national security threats, um, or just threats to society, uh, our way of life, economy, everything, uh, you name it. And yeah, and as far as national security goes, I think McKaylee hit the nail on the head that it's um, can be a catalyst for so many other cascading problems. Um, And then the other the other two that I want to shout out one is. The proliferation of drone technology, which is, I think, starting to get a lot of uh, a lot of traction. Um, but as far as you know, uh, <laughs> conventional warfare, um, I think you're starting to see that the U.S. is losing its competitive edge that it's it's held for the past few decades um, with using drone technology. But also um, in terms of non-state conflict, uh, I watched a documentary recently about uh, cartels in Mexico that are using drones that they're buying off the shelf to monitor the movement of, um, of national police. Um, They're using them as instruments of terrorism um, and they're innovating basically with the technology that's available to them again, just right off the shelf. Um, So I think, you know, looking forward to the future um, yeah, the intersection of drone technology and things like facial recognition to me is, is pretty, uh, frightening. It sounds it sounds sci-fi, but it's it's you know it's all there with uh, you know the technology that we that, that we already have today. Um, and then the last thing is um, our sourcing of rare earth elements, which um, ties into you know the, the work that I do here at Medtronic. Um, here, it's mostly about you know environmental, um, social, and corporate governance. Um, but as you know, as far as national security goes, um, I think you would be shocked to learn. How reliant we are on these rare earth elements, and how fragile those supply chains are. Um, And you know, it it comes down to um, the way we produce microchips. You know, what's what's in. I I read a book in preparation for this job called Elements of Power, which I I highly recommend. And I learned in that book that um, half of all known elements in the periodic table are in an iPhone. So you know, that just goes to show it's not it's not even you know, advanced military technology. It's the technology that we all rely on to uh, keep our calendars, to to navigate to work. Um, you know, that really our our society is built on the foundation of these rare earth elements. Um, and we, as a, I would say again, as a society, I think we're um, pretty uh, passe about where we're sourcing those from, and and yeah, the risks to their future viability. Mm-hmm.
0: So, unfortunately, we are, we only have about uh, nine minutes left. Uh, I have two more questions I want to ask you. Uh, one one I'll let you give me a little more detailed answer on. The, the, uh, the last one, you have to be brief. Uh, so let's finish with uh, these last two questions. The first one is, if you were to sit down today uh, with high school students or even freshmen in college who had not yet selected their degree, what advice would you give them regarding studying international relations? How important is it for students to get engaged in this field, considering the challenges America faces around the world? And uh, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Who wants to go first? OK, go ahead, Jonah.
2: I, I just want to take note of the way that you're framing this question, John. And it's <laughs> it's very characteristic that it's about service to country. Um I want to frame it in a slightly different way uh, that I think, you know, an IR degree is just great training for any number of careers. Uh, As as evidenced by my own story, you know, I've worn a lot of hats in the uh, now more than seven years since I graduated from Carleton. Um, It just gives you a knowledge of how the world works. It trains you to think about complex cross-national issues. Um, and and I think almost you know most more importantly than anything else, it forces you to develop your own system of beliefs and be able to stand by those beliefs. Um, so you know I think it's a win-win, both for young people who are thinking about their future, um, and then also for the country as a whole because we need people with those skill sets.
0: Okay, and Nicole, how about you?
3: I'm going to blend together John's framing and Jonah's framing here. I think uh, because of what Jonah said. Uh, there's a there's this idea that we can think beyond ourselves um, with an IR degree I think that is part of the service element here is um, you know we can we can become so consumed with what's going on in our own lives and what's going on um, in our own pursuits that we can we can sometimes overshadow the communities we um, we live in and uh, the communities we live in are just as important in the, as the international communities we um, were studying as well. Uh, they're they're all connected. So being able to see a connection between what we're studying um, from this broad level of international relations and applying it to the world that we we operate in, um, kind of locally, uh, you can really make a difference. Um, and that whole realm of of curiosity um, about the world and about people um, is what's gonna make uh, make change um, go from the grassroots level to the national and international levels.
0: And McKaylee, how about you?
1: Yeah, I think I would kind of echo some similar points. I think it definitely is important for everyone to at least take a couple courses related to IR um, and politics in general. I know that when I came to Carlton, I was just a little country girl from Australia. Um, I hadn't really thought a lot about how the world worked, Um, kind of focused on my school and working um, back in Australia. So I think taking those courses, um, and I took a lot of them at Carlton, really did broaden my worldview and kind of helped me see those connections, as Nicole talked about, kind of the global and local connections and see myself as kind of part of a broader community. Um, I also just really liked the theories because I love I love understanding how things work. So I think for people who are kind of more creative, there's things you can learn that will be relevant for your kind of roles. And for people who are more math and science, if you like how things work, well, you know, we've got theories for that. Uh, they might not always work out, but they work out some of the time. So I think it's definitely important for everyone to take those courses and then yeah I think America's facing a lot of the, a lot of challenges, but I think a lot of the challenges are global that we are facing now, um, climate change and insecurity. So I think everyone even even little Australians should also get in, involved with IR. <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, I'll let you continue on, uh, McKaylee, uh, with this last question, and I'll just say to Jonah and Nicole, if you, if you would rather decline to answer this question, uh, considering your current positions, I, I completely and totally understand. Uh, McKaylee, what is it you have planned for, the, for your near future, for your, for your career? What is it you hope to achieve uh, in the near term? And we'll see if Nicole or, or Jonah want to uh, want to uh, put themselves on report with their respective companies uh, regarding what they really want to accomplish with their lives. <laughs> Go ahead, Michele.
1: I don't know if you remember at the start of the pandemic, we had maybe an hour, two hour long Zoom chat where I said, I don't know what I want to do with my life. So this is not the best kind of question for me. Uh, but I definitely want to finish my grad program, which is slated for, I think, June 2023, I'm going to be continuing my internship with um, CT into the spring, which is really exciting. So I can kind of work on the projects that I'm working on now, kind of extend them. And then in terms of specific jobs, I don't have a specific job. I think I've been really lucky to kind of build a pathway kind of organically. Things kind of keep just falling into my lap in a way. So I think that's kind of what I'm hoping for at the moment. I do need to work out if I'm going to live in Australia or the U S, but that's a problem for the me in two years time.
0: Yeah. So. And Nicole, how about you? Maybe it's uh, moving up in the, in the chain at, uh, at target. Uh, what, what are you interested in doing? Um,
3: well, I should say too, that everything that I say is my opinion and not the opinion of my. Sure. Company. Uh, of course. Of course. Um, however, uh, I think every opportunity that I've come across is um, an opportunity to learn, and to you not only just clarify my own values, but to to work to become more and more aligned with my own values um, in my daily life. So, um, I want to continue to find ways to uh, improve the community around me, and 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 uh, work to solve some of these complex problems. Even though it's, I, I do believe that it's. A little bit idealistic to, to believe that I can solve some of these major problems. Um, I think you can chip away at them. Um, so, you know, whether, whether that means I stay with Target forever um, or move on, um, whatever I do, I want to make sure that um, I'm working to make the world a better place um, for lack of a, a better cliche.
0: Never apologize for being an idealist. Gives you the courage to drive forward every single day. And you, Jonah, uh, what do you have planned?
2: Yeah, I, I just started in this role. So I'm pretty, I'm looking forward to having a little bit of stability uh, in my life and staying here for the foreseeable future. But I'm excited to be part of of what Medtronic is doing. And, you know, I think that the, the ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance area, I think that's going to be a really important part of solving uh, some of society's most important challenges in the near future it's not something that i foresaw myself doing while i was at carlton um, but i'm pretty excited about it now that i'm here and uh but you know of course uh, if this doesn't work out i'll just pursue my my dream of being an instagram
0: influencer <laughs> okay fair enough so, it, <laughs> <laughs> so for both of uh both of you jonah and nicole uh you're at uh, medtronic and target uh you should probably know that the Business Roundtable, which is, you know, basically the heads of some of the major companies uh, in America and the world, uh, have been talking a lot lately about the role of what corporations should do. Are, are they? Do they just exist to create value for shareholders, or do they exist uh, for other purposes too, like to benefit their communities? Uh, uh, to contribute back to society and, and sort of the going understanding across corporate America today, led by some of our giants in, in the multinational world, is that corporations need to do more than just create value for shareholders. So you're both with really good companies that care deeply about these issues uh, and, and the fact that you have an IR degree. Uh, is probably contributing heavily uh, to the success of your career paths in those two companies. Uh, So, folks, we've come to the end of another edition of National Security This Week. Uh, McKaylee Hunt, Nicole Nipper, and Jonah Simons, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about your respective career paths. Uh, I guess you guys, I should let you go so you can get back to to work or or back to school, but thank you again for joining me today.
2: Thank you, John. Good job. Yeah, Thanks, John. It was great talking with you.
0: And, folks, that closes this week's edition of National Security This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Take care, everybody, and have a great week.
1: You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week.